everyone, and welcome to episode five of ND Inspo, where our mission is to connect, grow, and inspire naturopathic doctors from all over. Today I have with me Dr. Tina Moore. Dr. Tina is a naturopathic doctor and chiropractic doctor, a regenerative injection specialist and teacher. She is the host of Pain-Free and Strong Radio. She's the author of Pain-Free and Strong Book, and she's a marketing mentor for medical professionals. So she is doing so much work right now, helping us to take things virtual. And I am so excited to sit down with Dr. Tina today to discuss some pertinent information and hopefully to kind of dispel some myths around going virtual. Um, so I also want to add that she does have some resources both on her website and through AANP. So if you have more questions after this, be sure to check those out too. Um, so to begin, Dr. Tina, I would love if you could just first take a moment to give us a little background about yourself, but also about your transition from more of the brick and mortar practice to what you currently do today. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm honored. And what a cool name for a podcast. When you, when you messaged me about it, I was like, yes, that's right up my alley. So um, yeah, so I am a chiropractic. I'm a chiropractor and a naturopathic doctor. I did both programs concurrently. My background is that I was mentored up by Dr. Rick Marinelli, who was just a powerhouse in our profession and a really important player in getting us to where we are today nationwide. Um, he passed in 2016 from cancer, and I had spent the bulk of a decade plus with him in his practice as his receptionist and his assistant and his friends and his, uh, you know, you name it. I kind of was a jack of all trades there. And I was gifted his practice. Um, I was sort of raised up and mentored for it. It was a regenerative medicine practice, and I was, you know, that was what I came here to do was to be a really good prolotherapist. And so upon his death, I started teaching because I was devastated. Um, I mean, I was just devastated. I didn't know what to do when he, it was a long, painful descent and then he passed. And, and so I thought, you know, he told me the day before he died, he said, don't forget docere. So I tattooed it on my wrist oh, and, awesome. <laughs> and this was the hand he was holding when he said it. And so I, he didn't give me a literal translation of what that meant. And so I, I opened a series of injection therapy courses, just soft tissue stuff, really simple and I sold it out and then I sold out the next month and then I sold out the next month and I was like, wow, this is, there's a need for this, right? And I, I had been teaching at the university level. I taught pharmacology and minor surgery at the chiropractic college. So I knew I loved teaching and I'm really good at distilling information down into like normal people terms, you know? <laughs> so started teaching injection therapy and that's kind of where I, you know, I kind of got just geeked out on it and the demand was so high. Um, as a chiropractor, I think I'm, and as you know, because we were just talking offline how you went to national and so you were around chiropractors. Chiropractors are, you know, uniquely skilled at musculoskeletal medicine. So mm -hmm. it was really fun to be able to teach both aspects to my naturopathic colleagues. And I made it, I made a deal with myself that I would only teach NDs because there's so many opportunities in regenerative medicine for MDs and other professionals and not for us. And we slowly but surely keep getting cut out from these organizations. And so I was like, I'm only going to teach NDs and I'm going to keep it really high quality. And so I did. And that was awesome. And then in 2015, I started doing some, I was dabbling online, trying to figure it all out, spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to figure it out on my own, finally hired a coach, thank God, and got some strategy going and then started making some money. And that took some time, but I cannot overemphasize 
how important having somebody there to objectively help you strategize, who knows the space, right? Um, and so then I started having docs reach out to me asking me to coach them. And it was just like, there's too many things going on. I was teaching regenerative injections. I was practicing full time. I had a wait list. I was busy, um, cash only practice, doing really well there. People just wanted to know like, basically like how to recreate my model of what I was doing. And so I started teaching and I opened a mastermind and then I opened a prolotherapy mastermind and things just got completely out of control and my health was suffering. So I had to shut down something and it happened to be my clinical practice. And there were a lot of reasons for that. Um, I had some PTSD. I have to admit now that I've stepped back for a while, having gone through that whole situation with Dr. Rick Marinelli um, passing, just how it all went down and my own personal life. It wasn't because I didn't love treating patients because I do love treating patients. Um, it was all the other stuff. And so I also had been a very, very sick little kid and I'd spent my entire life in and out of doctor's offices and hospitals and medical practices. And I just, I thought, you know, I want to know what life is like outside of a clinic. Like I just didn't even know my whole life had surrounded, had been surrounded by going to doctors all the time, literally as a kid, I remember going to the hospital three times a week for allergy shots and all this stuff. And I was like, I'm just going to just step away from clinical care. I don't want to take care of anybody right now except myself <laughs> and my daughter. <laughs> so I closed my practice. I went on an indefinite sabbatical. I don't know if I'll come back because I love coaching you guys. Like this has been way more fun. I feel like I have a bigger reach with patients. I can actually help more patients by helping you guys be more awesome doctors. And our profession needs leadership. So I volunteer, you know, I step up to meet that need. And it's been really honestly great. I, I, as, as much of a epidemic or pandemic, I should say we are in right now, this global health crisis, I feel uniquely qualified and uniquely positioned to all I had to do was like turn on the engine, everything was set and ready to go. And I'm able to help in real time. Um, and honestly, I think it's kind of a good thing because just like the folks at home who aren't doctors who, you know, I've been talking to our colleagues and they're like, this is a great time for people to get their health together, right? Like this is kind of a cool opportunity that most humans don't get where it's like, you're stuck at home, start eating well, start exercising, start taking care of yourself. Same thing. I think in our practices, like this is a good way to get your marketing fitness on, you know, and get, get those things dialed in because this isn't, this isn't information you, and th these aren't skill sets you need to implement just now. They're the kinds of things that are going to keep any practice or any business thriving and afoot and moving towards the modern age, you know? So mm -hmm. anyway, that's, that's the long version. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I think one of the both awesome and overwhelming parts of what we do is that there's so many things that we can do with naturopathic medicine and within our career. Um, so it's both, like I said, freeing, but also, <laughs> um, you know, there's just so many options. So it's always nice to hear, you know, everyone's journey and, and where it takes them because it's so different for all of us. Um, yeah. But it's nice to hear different stories and, you know, how well, you know, we're using it. <laughs> clinical practice is rad. And I did it for 10 years and I was a good doctor. I, my only goal, my entire, I wanted to be a doctor since I was five years old. Like my only goal was to be a really good doctor. And I feel like I accomplished that. And when I hit the 10 year anniversary, I was like, you know what? Life is short. I've had seen way too many friends die, including Rick in a very short period of time, all from cancer. And I was like, I'm going to go do whatever I want. <laughs> like this is my life and I only get one shot and I'd like to step away from clinical practice. 
and see what else might, where else my talents might bring me. So, you know, I mean, I think we all have that ability. We're all, it's, it's all allowed. (laughs) You're allowed to do whatever you want. But also, like you said, um, by doing the work that you're doing, you're, you're impacting through a, a chain of, you know, so many other people. Um, so, dosere, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, great. So, maybe we can kind of start out by, we had talked earlier um, about trying to help dispel some of the myths around marketing, marketing mindset, um, around going online and even social media. I think there's a lot of intimidating factors kind of lumped into all of that, that kind of keeps people away from doing it or just also confused about where to start and what's actually important and, you know, how to kind of keep it simple. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can kind of start there and get some people on board and also, you know, maybe, maybe address why, why it is important at this time, um, not just in COVID, but just during this, this day and age of Mm -hmm. having somewhat of a presence online. Sure. So the thing that I tell my uh, coaching clients is that there's presence and there's influencer. And an influencer in our field who has done an amazing job would be, as an example, would be Jolene Brighton. She has definitely hit influencer status. She is known worldwide. She's got media outlets after her. She's written a book. She's, you know, she's doing it. She, like, the woman is a machine and she's very skilled at this. Most of us simply just need presence. And that, all that means is, here's an example. <laughs> I, you know who Nicki Minaj is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So I saw her interviewed. Early, when I was early on in practice, I saw her interviewed and she was talking about how early in her career uh, she had like a song come out or a single or maybe an album, I can't remember, and it flopped. And she's like, don't they know who the F I am? Like, do they not know who I am? And then she's like, apparently they did not know who I was. <laughs> and therefore I was not getting what I thought I deserved. And I was like, exactly. That is exactly how I felt. I knew I was doing incredible work inside my practice. I knew I was a really good prolotherapist. And I'm not saying that with an egotistical way, like I earned that. I worked hard to get that good. And I, you know, spent a lot of money and time and I had all these incredible skills. I probably spent a hundred thousand dollars in excess of my, my, you know, schooling to get good at regenerative injection therapies. And I thought, well, why don't these people know who I am? Like, why don't they know what I'm capable of? And my friend in chiropracticology used to tease me. He's like, someday everybody will know who you are and they'll know what you're (laughs) capable of. Right. And but there was this divide and time was going on and they still didn't know who I was and they still didn't know what I could do for them. And I was like, why aren't people beating down my door? I mean, I had a good, I had built a very healthy practice at that point, but it was still um, subject to seasonal lulls being cash. People would, the whole summer would drop out because in the Pacific Northwest, we only get three months of sun. So you can imagine nobody wants to get injected and hung up for three months during that period. The winter time, I would get, oh, I've got to turn some, if that dings again, I'll find it, turn it off. In the winter time, oh, there it is. I'm going to turn this off. In the winter time, things would grind to a halt because people were saving for Christmas, um, tax season, et cetera. And then I, we had a big snowstorm here in Portland, an ice storm, really. It went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I almost went bankrupt again. I had already filed bankruptcy early on in my practice due to a divorce and being a single mom. And I was like, I can't fire my staff and go bankrupt again. I got to figure something out. And so I took to the online space. Here's what I figured out. You can make 
not only can you, if you want to sell courses and you want to do that kind of thing, great. It's kind of a dead sea right now. Like courses, people, I get a lot of people who come to me and say, I want to, I want to sell courses for residual income. There's no such thing as residual income. You never sit back and just make money. <laughs> that takes years. You have to bust your ass to make that happen. Courses are kind of dead, master classes, that kind of stuff. I mean, for the amount of time you put into it, 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 it's, it could be great, but not really when you consider that your email list, about 1% of that converts. So you have to have a pretty sizable email list to make courses fly, and you have to know how to launch products, and you have to know a lot of nuts and bolts. It's not just throw it up on your website and hope it sells, because that won't work. And then there's this, this idea that your patients are looking for you. They're looking for your unique skill set. They're, they're looking for your unique sales um, uh, skill sets. And they don't know how to find you. Because if you put in several of our colleagues' names, I would say most of the people that I Google, up comes nothing. I get like a whole page on Google of a bunch of little other websites they're in, like health grades or some of those different places. I don't even get to their website until like page two of Google. So how are people supposed to come learn or experience your brilliance, get, you know, pay you money for your brilliance to help you heal them if they can't even find you? So we have to have a strong presence and that's not that hard to do. It takes some time. It takes some content creation. It does not take a lot of skills though. You don't have to know how to like program websites. You don't have to know all this stuff. It's a pretty simple process. And also you can just simply start by emailing your current patient list and keeping them engaged regularly so that they're, you're always top of mind. You're always, you're, they're always every other day, every third or fourth day, they're opening their email and they're seeing your name there and they're getting some tip of value from you, something very valuable that sets you apart from everybody else versus what I think most naturopathic doctors think is one of two things. This is what I've noticed. They either think they're going to throw up their Instagram and it's going to be gangbusters. <laughs> That's what they mostly think. And after six months, they're like, this is really hard and this sucks. And I don't know why it's not growing and I give up. Or they don't want to do anything because the whole thought process is so daunting. And they think they have to like have a Mercedes level marketing machine, funnel, all the ads, all the, you know, Facebook ads, all these things in place for it to work. Versus I'm just like an old school punk rock girl who likes to do grassroots movements. And so I made a very good living simply by growing my audience to a small amount, a couple thousand on my email list, a couple thousand on my social media. Those, that takes time. That was not easy. But once I got that down and then strategically knew how to move them through an email sequence onto my list and then monetize them, get them into my practice, I suddenly went from having these seasonal lulls to being, you know, waitlisted several months, uh, application only, turning away about 70 to 80% of those who applied and still being super, super busy and significantly increasing my prices in the process. And people were just beating down the door to get in. That all happened within a 12 month period of just starting to email out my patient base and growing my email list. I mean, that was, and growing my social media following to nothing huge. I mean, it was all pretty small. So we all can do it and we all should do it. And I think this pandemic is showing us that we have to pivot. We don't, we don't have a choice anymore. So would you say that, because it sounds like, um, I mean, and you've talked about this through A&P, there's kind of two, so, I, um, so far what you've shared is like there's the email list, which it sounds like you would kind of put as number one. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Um, and then second, well, 
website and and then maybe social media um i guess how yeah what would you say yeah are kind of the most most important things for those that just don't know where to start and um you know they're trying to shift things online and like you said there's it can be overwhelming and so like where where would you say to kind of just start so i'm kind of old school i actually I far prefer connecting with human beings and building. Well, I was told after my AMP webinar that the use of the word tribe is cultural appropriation and is not appreciated. So I totally apologize for anyone I offended with that. Really, I want to build a gang. <laughs> That's really far more interesting to me as a gang or like a mosh pit because I'm a punk rock girl. Like if I can get a group of people together, like I always think of when I was a teenager at Lollapalooza and we all had one goal and it, you know, one goal was to get to the show. We all had to get to the show. We all had to survive the day. So <laughs> that is what in my head, what I'm thinking of when I say, when I use the word tribe, but I, we could say you're, I don't want to say family. I'm trying to build a gang of like-minded people. I'm trying to build a mosh pit, a movement. And um, I think email is the one place that you can really strongly do that. A, there's no censorship there. Well, there might be, but so there are, I have heard that some of these uh, email servers are censoring a little bit around like vaccines. So be careful, but there's way less censorship. We know social media censoring hard. I'm experiencing it right now in real time. It's bad. I keep getting locked in what I call Instagram jail because people just report me because they don't like that. I say to eat less sugar, literally like I write something like that and boom, I get, so enough people report me and I get thrown in Instagram jail. So censorship is real. Facebook, unless your, your professional Facebook page is not being seen at all unless you're paying for ads. So what a completely worthless use of your money just to get seen, right? Unless there's a strategy behind your Facebook ads and you really need to get to, with a Facebook ad person to do that, throwing money at Facebook, probably not the best use of your dollars right now. I've done it. I've, done, I've made all the mistakes, trust me. Um, I was like, I'm going to boost this post and see what happens. And $300 later, I've got like 10 new followers. It's not a good strategy. There is this idea in my head that I think works really well. And this is what I get my uh, coaching clients to implement. You just have to take over your Google, the first page of Google, meaning your website is not being seen. We're, censorship started in June of last year around the anti-vax movement. And so natural health websites are getting hammered. So your website is not the biggest concern for me. And that is also a stalling tactic. A lot of people who come into my masterminds will stall the whole year on getting all the work done because their website isn't perfect or they don't have the money to upgrade the website. And their hat is hung on that. And they're like, well, my website's just, it's not right. So I can't do anything else. And I'm like, oh my God, screw your website. Nobody's going there anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No one's finding it. So having a simple website that is set up nicely, that showcases you, that gives them an opportunity to put their name and email in to get on your email list, and hopefully in return for some kind of free gift, like maybe it's a one sheet page where you talk about like six ways to optimize your whatever, six ways to optimize your joints before regenerative injection therapy, something, I mean, I'm a prolo-doc, so that's what comes to my head. And just a nice about you and the services you offer and how to get a hold of you, that might be plenty for a website right now because if you can get your email list engaged and going, you've got direct access to those people. That's your VIP list. They're opening your emails and they're reading direct words out of your mouth and they're connecting with you in a way where they get to know, like, and trust you. So there's not that awkward, um, they, all they've seen is, in most cases of marketing, most people see your face on your website. They don't know what your voice sounds like. They don't know how what your candor is. They don't know if they like you or not. I mean, I say, I drop F-bombs and I have tattoos and not everybody, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, right? 
So giving them an opportunity through YouTube videos, through maybe a Pinterest account, through your Instagram account, through your Facebook, having some presence everywhere just so your ideal patient can find you and go, oh, I'm a Facebook user. Oh, she's on Facebook. Oh, she's dropping, you know, she's dropping a link every, she's posting something every few days or once a week and I can get to know a little bit about her there. Or, oh, here's some, here's some stuff on her website. Oh, it's linking back to YouTube. Oh, she has a short series of in, or YouTube videos talking about who she is. Oh, here's her Instagram. Oh, she has some IGTVs I can binge watch. That's how you get people to know, like, and trust you. So when they walk in on the first visit, money becomes a non-issue because they become fervent fans and they're like, I just want access to you in your brain. So money quits being as big of a deal, way less of a deal than it was prior because you have already shown them all your value by just having some presence on all these different places. Not a big following, not a ton of time, just some presence so that they can find you on their favorite platform of use and they can get to know you a little bit better and they can hear your voice and they can see your dog and they get to know what you're about <laughs> and they get to start to see some similarities between themselves and you versus going to a website where there's a laundry list of things you treat and there's a photo of you and it looks like every other naturopathic doctor's website, which is like the, you know, the nineties called, they want their websites back. <laughs> That's what they all look like. There's a laundry list of things you treat and conditions you specialize in. It almost looks like bullshit to me. Honestly, like I look at that and I'm like, there's no way this person can be that good at all those things. Now that is what the public is thinking, you guys. We know we're not treating conditions, we're treating people mm -hmm. and we're treating the patient in front of us and they may happen to have that condition presenting and we're getting to the root cause. The patient doesn't understand that. So how the heck are they supposed to know if you don't tell them? right? And so this is where social media comes in. It's your opportunity to tell them why they should know, like, and trust you, how you're different. That, that really being differentiation is key. How you're different at something, how you think differently, how you do things differently, conventional care versus our way of doing medicine. Those things have got to be showcased. The public has no idea why on earth would they pay you $300 an hour or more versus paying a health coach $100 an hour when seemingly the health coach is doing the exact same thing. Because in the patient's eyes, lifestyle medicine doesn't mean anything, right? If, if you're just going to tell them, if the, all they think is you're going to tell them to drink water and exercise more and get better sleep, and the health coach can do that for less money, but you're actually just hitting the tip of the iceberg and you're really going to get to the whole iceberg, they don't know the difference. And so it's our job to tell them, otherwise we perish. Yeah, no, I think that's... Um, uh, so that's... That's yeah. number one. And then worrying about the website, not such a big deal. And that's how social media plays into the email list, right? You, you make your posts and all your posts have a call to action to do something on your site or do something to a blog post. Maybe you've written blog posts in medium.com. It's not even on your site. Maybe it's to get them back to a piece of your content on YouTube. Maybe it's to get them to your Pinterest page. Maybe it's to get them onto your email list. But there's always, there's a strategy and a long game to social media. It's not just go waste time you don't have as a busy doctor making pretty posts about, you know, copying. And what, we, what do we do? We copy everyone else. It's like 10 people are posting about exercise right now. Let's all post about exercise. And it's just a bunch of bland stuff that's coming at them and there's no call to action. And the, and the poor doctor sitting here going, I'm trying to run a practice. I'm trying to do chart notes. I'm trying to deal with paperwork. I'm trying to deal with staff. And now I have to do this social media nonsense. Like, why would I do that? This is why. So it has to be a long game strategy. Not, and everyone's different. I don't encourage everyone to take to social media. It depends on the person. 
their age, their demographic, where they're practicing, what the plan is. And that's why we hire coaches, right? They can help us see those things. Um, just like in our medicine, we need to hire a professional to help us see our health, our health game plan, same in your business. But that's the long game strategy with social into your email list. And then your email list is where you convert them into paying clients. And it's so simple and easy. It does take a little bit of time to set up, but I can't, literally, I can't see why anyone couldn't do it in a Saturday, like taking one Saturday to put all the pieces together. And now suddenly they're online and they're driving and people love it. Your patients will love it. People think it's amazing because their other doctors don't do that. And they're getting real time tips from you and they're getting real time strategies on their health. You're keeping them calm during this whole epidemic and crisis and they're loving it and they're scheduling appointments with you virtually. I mean, everybody wins, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you've hit on uh, several, several very good points. Um, one of the things I kind of want to go back to is something because you've mentioned, you mentioned a few of these in another talk, and that is the stalling tactics. Um, what would you, what are some really common, because I find myself in this all the time where it's like, it's not ready yet, or I still have XYZ to do. So then, you know, I just, keep adding to my list of right. of why not. Um, and so what are some of the common stalling tactics that you've seen with people that you're mentoring that kind of keep them from, from moving forward? Yes, that's a great question. And I will say this, I do it too. I mean, I, I do it too all the time because you have to know the long game before you can talk yourself out of the stalling tactic, right? Like mm -hmm. the long game is, to me, the long game is I, I need to make this amount of money or I want to help this many people or whatever your why. You have to know your why. So once you have your why written down and clear, I'm trying to, not, I'm, I'm trying to tell the truth to the human population and I'm trying to help our profession in a major way because my mentor brought us so far, whether or not you guys know who Rick Marinelli was or not. Like he did such massive things for our profession. And for me, like, that's my why. I've got the flag. Like, let's go, right? So once you know your why, you can hopefully get that to help you stop stalling. Some of the stalling tactics I see are uh, anxiety around technology. But I think that that's not really a good one anymore because, A, the technology has advanced so much that it's super simple. And, B, if it's not super simple to you, all you have to do is go to Fiverr.com or Upwork.com and hire somebody who can do it for you. Another stalling tactic, which relates to that, is the inability to delegate. And if you're going to level up and be a boss, you have to delegate. The first thing I tell people when they go into practice is find a way to pay somebody to help you in some kind of assistant or receptionist capacity, right? And people say, oh, no, no. I mean, I know docs that are out 10 years and they still don't have a receptionist. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, come on. Like, you need some help, some barrier between you and the patient, right? And so this inability to delegate seems to be a big one. I think it's because a lot of us... I always was, but I think a lot of people in our profession come out and they've never been in roles of leadership before, right? So like for me, barking orders is not, <laughs> I was on student council when I was like in fourth grade. So like <laughs> getting shit done is I'm great. I'm like, you do this, you do this, let's all go, right? Because I know where my weaknesses are. And I still, I still don't always delegate as well as I should. I still find myself doing things and I'm like, why am I doing this? But then we also get caught up in our egos. That's another stalling tactic. And by that, I mean, A, we think we're the only ones who can do the job, so we're not going to delegate it. B, our ego is telling us we're not good enough and we're insecure and we can't put ourselves out there. C, why would anybody want to come see us? You know, so either it's a good, it's a positive thing with the ego or a bad thing, but 
if you can't sell yourself, how on earth are you going to do this in practice, right? You have to be able to get on video. You have to be able to speak. Um, not inability to write or saying that I hate writing. I get that one completely, you guys. I, I will go in spouts where I'm like a huge content machine and then don't create anything. If you can't write, you're not going to make it successfully. If you, writing and speaking. That's it. Those are the two things. Like I, I hated high school as a little note, hated it, like hated every second of being there. But I knew if I learned to speak well and I learned and I knew if I could write that those would equate to success for me. So those were all the classes I took. I took a ton of English lit. I took a ton of writing and I took a ton of speaking opportunities like debate club and all that. So being able to put yourself out there in those capacities is key and people just get hung up in this loop in their head that they can't do it. And I'm like, can't isn't an option. Like you have to do it if you want to differentiate. And then I think the last thing is um, they like to get hung up in the tech. They, they like to get hung up in the technology. They, get, they geek themselves out on the technology as a stalling strategy. So unless the camera's perfect and the lighting's perfect and the microphone's perfect and it's all perfect, they can't do it. And I, I'm, I'm doing this on purpose. I know my sound quality isn't great. This stupid $20 pair of skull candies are the same ones I've had since 2015. These things have made me a million dollars. I'm not kidding. Like these stupid crappy headset. I've got a $65 webcam and I'm sitting in front of a window. Like that's the setup, right? Like just figure out what time of day the window lighting is good and get yeah. your shit done. So so there's, those are the tactics that they use and they just ruminate. And these are the, and this is also why the coaching is helpful because I, my job is to kick them out of that habitual loop, right? Like my job is to give them a kick in the ass. I'm not there to be their friend. I'm there to help them make more money yeah. and be more strategic and get shit done. But I think that that's a really common, and I see them, they geek out. Like the other day, my mastermind members were literally going through this whole thing of like, if you follow and unfollow people on Instagram, then you can get more followers. And it was this whole long strategy, which sounded brilliant, but the amount of time that that would take, I was just reading this whole thing going, God, these people are brilliant for having figured this out. But at the <laughs> same time, like in my head, I was like, that's just way too much time for way too little return. So figuring out how much you're worth an hour, putting a value on that, whether that's energetic, whether that's time with your family or whether there's a dollar amount, and then how are you spending that hour, right? Because a lot of shit we do, we should be, I'm sorry if I keep cursing, we should be delegating, right? That's not a doctor's job. <laughs> Building a website is not a doctor's job. It's, you pay for that or you, you have a savvy partner who knows how to do that. But that's where I think they get caught up too. It's like, I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to figure it out. And they're nine months into my mastermind and they're still hung up on their website. So mm -hmm. that's why I say websites are, I can, if you guys noticed, my ascent in this world was still to this day on a crappy, it's not a crappy website, but on a website that is for my clinic. I still, there is still no Dr. Tina website that features all of my um, courses and all of my offerings and all of my coaching uh, offerings. It doesn't exist yet because I'm trying to prove to my coaching clients that you don't need a website. <laughs> like you just don't, you need to have some social media presence and a good email list and you need to be able to communicate with your ideal person. So, so even, and I think that's a good reminder, you know, like as long as we have a way to take in the emails, um, like a, even if it's just a landing page um, and an opt-in or some type of offer or something like that, um, then 
you can get started basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you can have that landing page. And in fact, I encourage people to have that landing page be its own separate URL because then you can turn it into a tiny link or a bit link or a shortened link. And when you're on podcasts and when you're out there in the world or you're doing a speaking event live or virtually, you can say, Hey, go ahead and grab my free thing at this link. Right? So my drtina.com goes straight to my book right now. And I've gotten, I've grown my list by over 8,000 just by giving a free book away. Now that book cost me some money to write because of the way I went around doing it. But uh, what a wonderful lead generator. And it's a punt. So when people start asking me for free advice, here's the key, you guys. You write content that gets you off the hook. So when people start asking me for free advice, I'm like, that's an excellent question. Go read chapter three in my book. Here's the link. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's never a no. It's just a, I'm not going to get, let you pick my brain right now. However, here is this free thing that I have for you, a free gift that would be helpful to you. And guess what everyone says? Oh, thank you. That's so generous of you. So. It helps you in a variety of ways. It gives you some authority. You look like you have your shit together and that you're super dialed. And then when you're at a cocktail party, you're like, oh, you should just go to this link and grab my thing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I also wanted to kind of swing back to you had mentioned that online courses and um, doing things like that, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of out out of the picture a little bit. So for those that aren't yet convinced, you know, and that are spending a lot of time um, focusing their energy on that, um, what, I guess, what else do you have to say about that? So people build these beautiful courses and they spend a ton of time doing them and they make them way, usually they make them way too robust. There's way more in there than there should be. Um, one of the things that will keep clients from actually finishing an online course is overwhelm. So, you know, there's eight modules and each module has 12 lessons. And it's like, we present our information as if we're teaching other practitioners. You're not, you're teaching your mom, you're teaching your teenage daughter, you're teaching the average person, right? So I always tell people, if you are going to create a course, take what you think you should do, cut it in half, and then cut that in half again. There's your content. It's got to be that simplified. And then you present it to them. Um, how, you know, so they've got, I, I keep seeing this. People say, I'm launching a course and I'm like, good for you. And then I go look at their website and their website's nice. Um, they've got about a thousand followers. And then I say, what's your email list size and what's your launch strategy? And they say, I don't have an email list and I don't have a launch strategy. And I'm like, okay, well, good luck. Let's see how this goes. And then I follow up with them a few months later and I see how's it going. And they're like, nothing is selling. I put it up on my website. I put it out on social. I announced it. I'm like, okay, announcing something is not the same thing as launching something. And so these courses just end up in this graveyard of naturopathic courses. And they're probably all brilliant. Like the gold that is in those courses, I'm sure is so extensive and no one's ever going to see it because the person who has built the course has no way of marketing it. They don't know how. They don't have a sizable audience to market to, and they don't know how to actually build that FOMO, that fear of missing out. You know, there's a whole strategy to building that up. And that takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of strategy and it takes a lot of energy out of the, out of the person doing it. So that's why people, if you know people who do launches, they're like, oh my God, that was exhausting. So that's what happens. And it bums me out to no end because I know that this is probably a brilliant course, but courses are kind of dead. Summits are kind of dead, you know, or conversely, people will spend a lot of money to do a summit. I've done that. They build an email list out of it and then they don't know what to do with that email list. They have no idea what the next step is. It's like, okay, now I have 10,000 people on my list. What do I do? 
And I've watched people do that and let their list die because they don't know how to market. So there's a lot of these shiny objects out there that people are trying to sell you and you'll see them. They're happening right now in mass. I keep seeing them like launch your online course, launch your summit, launch your thing. I'll teach you how. And it's the bottom line is if you don't have a list and you don't know how to engage your list to really move them towards those things, you're never going to sell anything. It's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, think, um, I, I feel like over the years, there's just been so much talk about, you know, um, like you said, making, making passive income through courses, but that's um, not usually the case, especially when you're just kind of getting going and, you know, you don't yet have an audience and all of that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Building an audience takes a lot of time. Uh, I got, I just got 30,000 followers on Instagram really fast because I had a video go viral and it's up to almost four, it's past 400,000 views right now. And I'm going to tell you like, A, I was well prepared for that. Like I've been at this long enough that I knew exactly how to handle that. I think had that, had I been anyone else that would have driven me mad. It was maddening. So many crazy people came at me. I mean, fear bait. Imagine getting 30,000 people all of a sudden and they're all scared and they're all panicked and they're from all over the world. It was insane. And I was in the middle of deal. I think I had the virus. I was in the middle of some pneumonia and I wasn't well myself. And I just kept saying like, this is a blessing. Yes. But cause everyone's like, Oh, congratulations. And I'm like, no, this isn't 30,000 people that I invited. Normally when you do it right, you invite your tribe. Sorry to use that word again, but you invite your group of people to you. You you resonate, they resonate with you and they come to you because they dig your style, they dig your vibe, they dig your energy. So guess what I got? I got a bunch of people and then I got a bunch of hate because mm -hmm. everyone thought I was somehow like a news channel and I'm like, no, this is social media. This is actually I'm a human being and this is my page and I'm going to post videos of me being active and I'm going to post videos of me doing things I love and I'm going to talk about stuff that matters to me. And oh my goodness, the amount of hate that came at me every morning waking up to just bullets and bombs from people, horrible, horrible, hateful things every single day for days on end, dr like getting thrown in Instagram jail, losing thousands of followers, building them back up. It was really emotional and really trying and really exhausting. And that's what happens if you end up with a group of people who aren't really your people. So the goal is slow and steady, build a really, really, really warm audience of people who like you and resonate with you and that you resonate with. And then help move them in the right direction of paying you for your brilliance and your services versus doing a summit, getting a huge list of people who may or may not really resonate with you and then having to deal with cleaning that up. It's imagine getting a patient base. Like this happened with me and Rick's uh, practice. Mike's camera's freezing. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I inherited Rick's practice. They were not my people, all of them. They were his people right. that he had built over 30 years. So there I was dealing with the same thing. I had to clean up this group of people who didn't necessarily resonate with me. Some were quite angered that I wasn't him. Some were just angry that he was sick or he was dying. And I had to deal with all of that for years until I finally got it to be like my people, right? And so you can do so much just by growing slowly and steadily and staying in the game and being consistent and consistently creating valuable content that you put out in the world and just keep going, right? Don't, it's not going to happen overnight. And it's certainly not going to happen in a month and it's not going to happen during this pandemic, but it will eventually pay off. And it's just that long game idea. 
just, you know, it's the five-year plan. Like, where do you want to be in five years? Not, oh my gosh, this has to happen right now. And I'm going to be fervent and freak out about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's already so much going on, especially right now that adding that added pressure to, you know, needing to grow your list uh, right away and needing to um, just be that that person for everyone, you know, right now um, is just, it's going to probably add to some of the stalling tactics, yeah, uh, but right. so, you know, um, create some overwhelm for yourself. Um, but I, I think that what you, you've made several good points, especially with, um, you know, like the people that are, and I've heard this several times, but it takes it takes a lot of times hearing it for it to really hit home that, you know, your people will find you if you, you know, if you're, yes. if you are putting your own personal message instead of trying to copy what everyone else is already saying. And, you know, um, rather than just doing generic messaging, really personalizing it and, and making it your own and, and saying it in a way that, um, that you understand it because then, like you said, you're going to attract the people that hear what you have to say. You right. know, they, they might be scrolling through and, and read the exact same thing that you're saying a million times over, but the way that you have said it yes. is the one that resonates. And those are going to be your people. Um, That's and, exactly it. Yeah. Um, but it's, like I said, it takes so many, so many times hearing things in, in different ways, and you never know which way is going to resonate so um so staying true to to who you are is is kind of the yes a hundred percent because you want to you want to write your messaging or your content to invite in the kind of person you want to sit in a room with at a patient visit right i don't want to invite in i mean i'm pretty clear what my political Siding is. I'm pretty clear where I stand on a lot of things. I'm not afraid to share that out with the world. I don't think that, you know, and on that tip, just FYI, just a total side note, your Instagram page is not a democracy. It's your page. So feel free to delete anything you don't like. Feel free to delete. In, in fact, I encourage you to delete anything that is said to you that is trolly or makes you feel bad because it's not their page. If they want the audience, they can go build 40,000 followers and they can say what they want to say. So screenshot it in case you get reported so you can have some defense, block them and delete the comment. That's it, right? This is not a democracy. Your email list is the same thing. You say what you want to say because you want to invite in your people. So when I am writing, I'm talking to the kind of person I want to hang out with, period. I don't want people in my practice who don't get me, who want to have an opinion about my tattoos, who are offended by the fact that I can't stand the current president. I don't want the, I don't talk politics with my patients ever, but you know what I mean? Like I didn't want those people in my office. I didn't want homophobic, you know, just misogynistic people in my practice. And so I was really clear that I was a strong female and this is my thoughts on, but you know, you edge into it, you do it delicately, but you reflect who you are and you reflect your personality and your belief systems. And you then you will, other people will go, man, I, so I'm down with that. Like she is rad. This is great. I'm ready to learn. I want people who are perpetual students around me. That's who I want following me. I want people who like to go do research. I'm trying to just dip people's toe into the water and say, here's some info, go run with it. Um, I don't want people who are combative and who want to argue with me and who don't want to do any research on their own. So you can curate your patient base and you can curate your social media following all with these strategies 
and you will have a much happier, healthier practice for the long run with less burnout because you've curated a really wonderful group of people who also have friends that they refer in, right? Mm -hmm. We all know the adage, like you get the crazy difficult patient and then they refer in their friends, <laughs> which is you're excited as a new practitioner that you have a patient, but then later you're like, oh my goodness, like these are not my people, you know? So I, I had that happen. I ended up with a ton of postmenopausal women who didn't want to exercise. They just wanted, it was in a rich part of town. They just wanted hormones and they wanted pills and they wanted to see a cash practitioner so they could brag about it. And I was like, I just want people who like deadlift and throw weights around and like skulls and, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's people with money like that too, right? And I was like, <laughs> how did I get this patient base? It's because I was kissing everyone's butt and just trying to do the best I could at the time but ending up curating a practice that wasn't really my style, right? Which it leads to unhappiness. So you can do that through your email list very subtly. You can talk to your ideal person on the regular and those people will come to you and they will send your email to their friends and those people will come to you. So that's the long game. Yeah. And I, it, I guess, um, you know, another way to look at or to think about it, because I feel like we're always afraid of like losing clients, losing patients, um, is that there's probably another ND out there that might be better suited for that person. Yes. And by you um, trying to be someone for everyone, um, you're, you're kind of keeping them from connecting with, you know, the person that they might resonate more with, too. So it's kind of your way to think about it. Um, and, and to connect, you know, to use our network in that way, too, might be something um, you know, that could be to our benefit of, well, I don't particularly work with this type of clientele, but I do know another ND that I can refer you to who you might, you know, vibe, right. vibe a little more with. And also we're human beings. And I know some of us are maybe better at this than others, but there's just flat out people I don't like. And if I end up in a doctor patient relationship with them, that is a conflict of interest. I don't like them. They're hostile to me just energetically. They're hostile to my staff energetically. Now, if they're directly hostile or they say a bunch of nonsense, they do get, they do get discharged. But you know what I mean? It's that subtle kind of like some of those narcissistic manipulative people, or maybe they're simply just triggering because they remind you of somebody in your life. And yes, we all try to be the bigger person and we try to just not have an opinion, but people for some reason think doctors are like these, you know, we have no emotions we have no immune system problems. We have no level of fatigue. We're just supposed to be machines and be on all the time. And sometimes we're not, you know, and I don't think it serves the person well if I am having some kind of recurrent triggering with them. And of course I work on those things myself, but it just, no one ever told me until I was years into practice that A, I might not be the doctor for everyone. What a mind blow, right? And B, I don't have to take everyone. Mm -hmm. That was mind blowing. Like. I had never subscribed to that. I was like, I have to treat everyone. I have to treat everything. I have to sacrifice myself. I don't care how awful they are to me or my staff. Like I have to deal with all of this. This is my, I am here to be a sacrificial lamb as a physician. I highly disagree with that. Now we are here to serve our ideal clients at the highest level. And you can't be doing that when two or 3% of your patient base is driving your staff and yourself fatty. You know, there's, <laughs> there's like those two or three people that are constantly taking up the phone lines and the bandwidth and the, the positive energy and sucking the life out of the room. 
and then you don't have it to give to these wonderful patients over here who really are just a you know joy of light that walk into your practice. So I kind of have a rule. If I don't want to hug them, I don't want to treat them. Mm. <laughs> and that doesn't mean I hug all my patients. I hug some, but however you feel about that. But I, if I don't want to hug them and hang out with them, I don't want them in my practice. And I give you all that permission too. You can do whatever you want. That's what I said in the beginning of this. You literally can do whatever you want. And I think it's probably more ethical to refer out or to figure that out early on before you take them as a patient because nobody deserves that because you end up bringing that home to your family or your friends or the rest of your life. And that kind of, it just sucked. It sucked my soul out. And I ended up very unhappy in practice. And that's just not what I want for any of you guys, you know, be discerning early. And that's why we have the email list. It gives people a little taste of our flavor before they ever engage with us. Right. Mm -hmm. And the patients that would schedule with me that had never watched any of my videos or anything, they were forced to be put through a series of videos once they finally got in um, onto the wait list. And several would call and say, you know what, I, this is not really what I was looking for. Like, this is not my style. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for figuring that out beforehand, because it just saved us both a ton of energy and time. I don't want their money if they're not going to jive with the way I do things. I certainly don't deal with victim mentality at all. And that came through loud and clear in my videos. And so, you know, to each his own, and I wish them the absolute best in life. And I, I happy healing with someone else that is definitely more their vibe, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone yeah. yeah, and you, so there's two different things in there that um, kind of are coming to mind. And one of them is like preventing burnout, because that's real for, you know, for anyone, but you know, for naturopathic doctors, you know, we're, we're trying to do so many things because, um, I mean, it's, it's a holistic medicine and, um, there's so many things that we can do with it and it can be, um, you could easily, easily, uh, lead yourself to burnout. Um, you know, even like what you were saying, something had to give, right? So, um, so we can't, can't do it all, even if we, <laughs> even right. if we want to. But the other thing that came to mind was about boundaries, um, which I think, uh, I mean, you know, it's something that um, I'm still learning. But um, and one of the reasons why I had taken a social media sabbatical was <laughs> yeah. uh, learning how to create those boundaries for myself because it's so easy to get kind of sucked into it and and you know, become that, um, like really focused on the numbers and, oh, this isn't doing well. And, you know, it's just really easy to get sucked in. Yeah. Um, so it can be yeah. devastating. Yeah. Right. And, and with your patients to like not take things personally and all of those things. So I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little more about that aspect of how you've created boundaries over the years, both, um, with social media and um, and with patients in the past. Sure. So I use social media to impart my boundaries. Um, I found that the more content I had out in the world, the more opportunity people had to expose themselves to my style, and they could self-select in or out. Mm -hmm. And that was step one. So if in my practice, if something kept coming up early, early on, because these are learned skills, right? Like you can't come out the gate as a new doctor and just automatically have them unless you've had a prior career where you've had to learn them. But most of us did not. So no boundaries. Everybody's coming in the door. Everybody's taking advantage of, and especially as women, I don't care what anyone says. We females have a very particular 
situation that male doctors do not deal with. And I've seen this over the decades that I've been in medicine. I have been working in the medical system since I was 22. And men deal with a very different amount of nonsense that comes at them versus women. And more importantly, most of that nonsense that comes at women is from other women. So there's a pearl right there. And it's true, mm -hmm. especially if you're young and you're attractive, they just try to railroad you. And it's, it's this weird hierarchy alpha thing. I don't get it. So anyway, um, there's that. But I found that if the same thing kept recurring, I used to be like, damn it, why does this keep happening? Like, why are these patients being this way? Right? I would put the onus on them. And finally, through learning marketing, I realized this is my problem. Like if I keep seeing the same thing recurring in my practice, that is clearly a lack of boundaries on my part. I didn't train them correctly. It's just like if your dog's misbehaving and you yell at them, but you never bother to train them or your kids are doing something, but you never bother to teach them. It's the same exact thing with your patients. You have to train them from the beginning what the expectations are in your practice and how you do things. So I use social media for that. And that's why I really encourage people to have an email list, to have content out there, to have a series of short videos on YouTube or whatever it may be. Give people an opportunity to expose themselves to you so, and really talk about that in there. And a great example of this was just what happened on Instagram. I was getting so, I was hit, getting so, I would wake up every day to these horrible messages in my DM, horrible comments on my posts. I was going in there having to delete everything. I was paying people to help me with it. And finally, I realized just like my practice, this was, my boyfriend was the one who pointed it out. He's like, all you talk about with your coaching clients is boundaries, because that's probably the bulk of what I coach on is teaching these doctors how to have strong boundaries uh, and when and where. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I did not instill any boundaries here. I just gave a ton of free information. So I started imparting boundaries into my posts. I started asking people to unfollow me. I was like, if you don't like me or you don't like this, feel free to leave. But if you're going to, you know, I basically said very nicely, if you're going to keep giving me shit and throw bullets at me, like, bye-bye, that, that, that's not how we roll here. And so I had to step up and take a dose of my own medicine and really start instilling boundaries on my post. And now it looked to the outsider like, oh, she's perhaps complaining because people are being mean to her. That's not at all what I was doing. I was letting people know, like, if you want to have beef with me, because I was about to, like, say, let's go. <laughs> about to like throw down and throw off the gloves and just go at it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I know. It's like, no, no, just impart boundaries into your post and stand for what you stand for and be bold about it. And then those people will self-select and unfollow themselves. Right. So that's all part of this. And I think those are all learned skills that again, it's helpful to have a coach who has, who can help you with that. There's a lot of coaches out there, including myself, but that I know that's a big part of what we do. Um, it's just giving people permission to like, step up and, you know, put their energetic suit on and to be brave and bold and to defer bullets. And that comes down to how you onboard your patients, how you communicate with them before they become patients. If all they see is a website that they found on the second page of Google with your face and a laundry list of things you do, there's no boundaries there. Anybody and everybody's going to come your way. But if you're real clear of who you prefer to work with, if you say things like, so I did regenerative medicine, and I constantly was saying things like, now, while these therapies sound miraculous, they work best on this type of patient. And I would describe my ideal patient in that sentence. It was non-threatening. It didn't make anyone feel bad. I would just describe, I prefer to, and the, I prefer to work with this type of person, and this is why. And I would describe that person as a healthy, fit um, individual who likes to lift weights, who is, or is some type of athlete. I, my thing was I keep active people active. That's about as clear as I could get. If you're not active, 
don't come to me because I'm probably not going to take you as a patient because those patients don't respond well to this type of therapy. So you can start using your words <laughs> in your messaging to invite in the right type of person and defer away or move us, you know, along the path, another type of person. Mm -hmm. And just kind of like uh, touching in a little more specifically on this, because you talked about it, and I think some people are a little confused on the censorship aspect and kind of the do's and don'ts on mm -hmm. social media, because on one end we're saying, you know, speak your mind and um, speak personally, but then on the other end, um, you know, we are being censored. And so um, I think maybe if you could clarify for people, because after listening to some of the talks, I definitely get the distinction now mm -hmm. between like why we can't be saying prevent, you know, certain XYZ um, and whatever else. So could you maybe just clarify? Yeah. So your goal right now with social media is to entertain people and entertain your current patient population. That Just keep that in mind right now. That is probably the most important thing you could do, and there's reasons for this that we don't have time for. But think about the fact that you're probably talking to the current patients you have because you want to keep them. You want to keep them happy. You want to keep them engaged. You want to keep yourself top of mind to them. Um, social media is basically using bots, from what I understand, to censor out anyone talking using the words coronavirus, COVID-19. And now I, I'm seeing doctors do this and I'm actually seeing a lot of doctors of influence t doing some pretty crazy like drastic posts that I, I mean, I want to cheer them on, but at the same time, I'm like, whoa, how are you not getting shut down? Because this is, you know, some of it's talking about some conspiracy theories, which may or may not be true. And you know what I mean? So I know that, but I do know we're all at a standstill. Those of us who stepped up to speak our truth are locked. We're pretty much locked in our followership and we might be growing a little bit, but there's a lot of things happening to all of us that are like, eh, it smells a little fishy. So what I would say is avoid using those terms. The word pandemic might be getting flagged. The word virus might be getting flagged. I don't know because it's bots that are doing it. And what happens is the bots come across, they scan your post and then they just decide it's fake news or not. And boom, you've now been listed as fake news. And if you do, or somebody on my page, that's how all this started. A bunch of people accused me of fake news simply for giving facts about what sugar does to your immune system. But because I had not included my citations, I got in trouble. So if you're going to say anything, I would avoid using trigger, those trigger words, avoid using cure, avoid using prevent, because we don't have any cure or prevention for this. And um, any conspiracy theories, that's all up to you. This is all up to your risk tolerance. If you're truly trying to grow right now, which I encourage you to do because that's how you're going to get them on your list and monetize them uh, and get them in as patients, I would keep it simple. I would talk about whatever you're talking about and I would make sure you have some kind of citation to back it up mm -hmm. because at least that way you still might get in trouble. You still might get locked in, but I... I, I would hate to see a person with a small account that they're trying desperately to grow get flagged as fake news now because that will haunt you forever, potentially. You know, like, I don't know. We don't know how these algorithm works. Right. But from, from the people I've been talking to, it's not. It, Facebook seems to be worse than Instagram right now. So if you're going to talk about vitamin C, I might talk about it in terms of its ability to um, how it works, mechanism of action, cite a source, put that on your post. I got in trouble also because of my talk on the ANP. Somebody said I called our medicine woo-woo. I did not. What I was saying is 
talking about topics that others may consider woo-woo, i.e. homeopathy. I don't think anything we do is woo-woo. I love our medicine. But if someone else is going to see that and get triggered, I mean, shoot, using the word herd immunity triggered a ton of anti-vaxxers. And they're like, you're pro-vaccine. I'm unfollowing you. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? And then I started realizing the term herd immunity is associated to those who don't have a ton of education around it, around that topic. They automatically assume herd immunity vaccines. And once I came to that realization, I was like, oh, I triggered a bunch of people without even knowing it, right? That also got me thrown into Instagram jail for a a few days. But if you're going to talk about something that might be considered fringe or not as readily understood, that is what I was referring to. Please just cite a, make sure you cite a source. Don't be throwing around homeopathy for this and this is the remedy. Like cite a source because that could potentially get you flagged is that's all I was trying to say. And again, I apologize to anyone who thought I was calling our medicine woo-woo because that was not my intention. I was simply saying that lesser known therapies some might consider fringe. I'm already, I'm getting hit by trolls too, saying you're not a real doctor. You're, you know, you're a quack. I don't even engage that. I just, I don't want to even get in that argument. Like what's the point, right? There's no point in arguing with them. I just delete the comment and block the person, but just know that all of that stuff leads to censorship. Mm-hmm. Just, just by being a naturopathic doctor, we're probably going to be more readily flagged for yeah. f- fake news period. So just be very scientific about what you do and don't say, and maybe avoid trigger words. Yeah. And you, and you had pointed out, you know, save, maybe save that for your email. That's kind of why having the email list is important, um, less likely to be flagged and you can be a little more, um, personal and, and talk yeah. about those things in your yeah. email. Because um, guess what happens when someone writes me something nasty on an email, I delete them and I take them off my list. <laughs> I unsubscribe them. They're gone mm-hmm. and they don't ever get back on and I will never hear from them again. Right problem solved. So I'm not saying be controversial in your emails and get yourself turned into the board either. Just make sure we're being scientific in all formats, but your email list gives you a little bit more autonomy versus social media is like a land. And I, that I actually declined to do my last webinar for the A&P about social media because it's becoming so hostile right now. So be all of those of you watching this, be very careful. This What's the date today? The 20th of April? It's like in the last month, things have gotten super hostile. So just be super cognizant and careful about what you say, because you might take a lot of heat for it. And if you're not the type of person who can handle the heat, that might just dissuade you from taking to social media. So people are very triggered right now and scared. And you also made a good point in that. um, And it's something that I've been thinking about, too, is that what you say can impact the entire naturopathic profession. So especially during a time like this, when we are being a little more closely looked at, even more than we already were, um, you know, you got to keep others in mind too for the sake of the profession. Um, And you also, you kind of worded it as being a messenger on social media. Yeah, we're representing everyone. And I realize that too. I know that I can... I know that I can be a bit polarizing in what I do, and I know that doesn't represent the whole profession, um, but it does represent enough. Uh, there's enough people who are like, yeah, Tina, let's go. Thank you for being bold and brave, whereas others are like, you're being crass and flippant. So to each his own, um, I am trying to just right now myself, my strategy is just throwing down facts. Mm-hmm. Every, I'm just trying to teach people immunology currently. <laughs> That's my, I'm not pro or anti anything. I'm just trying to teach people because people are so scared and they're scared out of ignorance and I'm trying to fill in the gaps. So that's my strategy. 
Um, others are having a different strategy and they're just simply talking about like, here's zinc, here's food sources of zinc. Here's some studies showing how zinc works on the immune system. And they don't even mention the virus, right? They just keep it nice and it's working really well for them. They're getting good traction and, and good followership with that. So, and we're all sort of helping each other. Like we're filling in the dots where maybe I post something here and it leads to a bunch of questions and then someone else will come in and answer some of those questions because mm -hmm. that's more their wheelhouse, you know? So it's, it's, and it's not, a, it's not like we have this like direct strategy going, but I can see it happening in real time. And, and we're all supporting each other as a profession. And there's several of us coming out with really amazing content. There's several people with very small followings with amazing content that I'm reposting and trying to get more eyes on because it's so good, you know, and every time I repost somebody, they're getting like 40 to hundred followers is what I'm hearing. So it's like, let's go. This is really a good time to be very factual based, be very evidence based, really showcase naturopathic medicine, but do so in a way that just know big brother is watching you and you can get shut down at any time, which sucks. So yeah. So yeah, and like you said, it's a good time to help help each other out um, by, you know, pointing one another in the right direction and sharing our resources that we create. Um, so I just want to kind of wrap this up with what what keeps you inspired in naturopathic medicine and hopeful for the future of of healthcare. Oh, that's a great question. I think that our medicine is the medicine. Like, I think we are strategically poised in this particular situation. And this really is an opportunity for us to all step up because we practice common sense medicine and it's medicine that is so desperately needed. And I realize it's being appropriated by other professions and I realize there's this and that and the other, but truly at the heart of it, naturopathic medicine is the clinical application of common sense. Alex Vasquez said that years ago, and I was like, yes, that is 100% how I feel, and people need it, and I think right now, people are actually, for the first time ever, people are fervent for it, so go forth and deliver it the best way you can, whatever your superpower is, double down on that, um, whatever, if you were to have all of your patients in one room, in your lobby right now, what are the 10 most important things that you would tell them, that's what you start creating content around, right now because that's where your heart is. Your 10 things are different than my 10 things, but I bet there's a lot of overlap, right? And we all interpret this medicine a little bit differently, all of those of us in it. Um, but go reread the naturopathic oath again. Go revisit our, our tenants and talk about that because it's desperately needed right now. And I think it was needed before this, apparently, but nobody was really listening. So that's what keeps me in it, is it's, it's like the medicine. I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's where my heart is, so. Thank you for that. Yeah. And where can people find you? I know most, most people know by now, <laughs> but for those new. So Instagram, because my Dr. Tina website is still not up. And like I said, because I still haven't, part of me is just trying to prove that you can make a good income without, a good, <laughs> without an awesome website. I have a course, though, that is open. It's free. It was listed on the AMP thing, but I also, I'll give you the link. Um, it is free for 30 days and then it drops you into a very low price membership with me, which brings you into my coaching collective where I can share all of my master classes and all the good stuff that's going down with you. And it was my way of just trying to get in as many people as I could to help them so that we can strategize because this is changing weekly and I'm up on the tip of it and I'm just trying to keep everybody going in the same direction towards success. So I'll give you the link to that and anybody who wants to join that will get, there's a free course in there with like six lessons and a master class that reiterates a lot of this stuff in detail. And it's, it's just a 
goldmine of info, even if you just stay for 30 days and check that out. It'll be well worth your time. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So much. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Tina, for taking the time to share all of your knowledge with us. We definitely got through quite a lot of <laughs> um, topics. So I appreciate you sharing all that you have to offer and for creating those courses for us and for being a mentor and just all the things that you do. I greatly appreciate um, all that you've done for for our profession and for um, your your patients and just everything you've done. Thank so you. So I appreciate it. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I love this profession. I know that we can succeed. What we do right now is going to make or break us though. So I encourage everybody to take action. And if you feel any level of anxiety, just take some massive action to overcome it. So grab the course, watch others. I know Jaquel Patterson's doing some amazing content out there too. I know Megan Walker is as well. So go check that all out and find your person to go work with so that you have some direction. So yeah, thank you lady. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you.